All right. I want to include you guys. All right. I want to include you guys in one of our studies. We've been talking this week about Bible study. So if you brought your Bibles, you're really going to need them. You're going to need them today. I'm going to have you flipping back and forth. If you don't have one, look off someone next to you. You can kind of uh, look with me on this. But I'm going to have you turning back and forth. All right. Okay. We've been talking about Bible study this week, and I told you uh, that today I wanted to walk you through the process of the three steps of Bible study, which are, uh, the first one is you ask the question, anybody know? What do I see? The next one is taking what I see and asking what it means. The third one is what does it change in us? So in the process of saturation, really what we're about is just investigating a passage of Scripture. And I want to take you in. We have a CD of the Month Study Club. You guys can get that online if you want to. No big deal. But we have a, what I do is I release a study online. You guys know what podcasting is? Okay, I do podcasting. So we have some podcasts and we have, you can uh, get on a CD of the Month program where uh, every month I send you a CD to your house and it's of our latest study and it's re- uh, I present that study in a setting like this where I preach uh, and, it, and it goes to, uh, it'll go to your house so you can listen to it. So every month I dedicate uh, myself to studying a certain passage of Scripture going through the process of what I've been sharing with you guys this week. So I want to take you through what we're studying for the month of August, which has been this month, okay? And this is where we've been. I want you to open your Bibles up to Revelation chapter 1. And I want to look with you at verses 5 through 8. And we're calling this study a people... Of praise. Give you guys just a little bit of background. Again, the first process of Bible study is asking the question, what do I see? So, that's right. So when you get into uh, the book of Revelation, the first chapter, what you come in contact with is the first three verses are given over uh, to in fact, if you have the NIV right above verse one, what little word does it say there? Anybody know? Say it out loud. Do you guys see it? It's called the prologue, and that's a compound Greek word that's made up of the words pro and logos, which describe what pro and logos mean is word and before. Logos means word, pro means before. So you crunch those two together. It's saying that the prologue is a word before. So these first three verses is a statement before the actual prophecy. Then you come down into verse 4 and 5, and you've got the basic uh, introduction that starts. Okay? The basic introduction that starts. And verses 5 talks about the person's of the Trinity. So the first three verses are the prologue. Verses 4 and 5 are the persons. And then when you come down and you look at the uh, verse 5, the end of verse 5, down through verse 8, you have this praise 
section. Okay, if you guys don't know how I study, the main, first really section in the uh, book of Revelation is, is from verse 1 down through verse 8. And it serves as an introduction. When you get into verse 9, John tells his testimony of how the book of Revelation uh, is given to him. He's on this island, Jesus comes, and, and, and he's supposed to write it down. And he goes up, and he's, he goes up and literally into the heavens, and it's, it's outstanding. But when you're, you're looking at the first step of Bible study, and I'm studying this first section, verse, uh, the first eight verses of Revelation, this is how we divided it up. The prologue, the persons, and the praise. This, this month's study, and over the next few months, we want to look at this section right here. This is what I'm, what I'm personally studying in my own devotions, my own devotional time. I'm studying verses five through eight over the next couple months. And I really struggled with it. Really struggle with it. Because when you look at, okay, when you look at the first, these first eight verses, um, the prologue makes sense. And I don't want to go too much into this. But the prologue really makes sense because what the prologue does is it, it's meant to focus the reader. Say, see, if you were going to sit down and read the book of Revelation, it's meant to reach out and grab your attention and focus you in on what the book of Revelation is all about. And of course, uh, no, without going into it, the book of Revelation is centered on Jesus. In fact, the very first verse of Revelation reads like this. The revelation of Jesus Christ. So when you get in the book of Revelation, what the whole book is about is Jesus. And this is what these first three verses are, uh, are, are supposed to do. John uses them to grab your attention and say, hey, the whole book's on Jesus. That was the first part of my study. As we get into verses 4 and 5, you have the persons of the Trinity that are presented. Now, I say the persons of the Trinity because you know that our Christian God is made up of how many persons? How many? Three. Three, Three persons. And they're known as, what's the first one? Father. Father. Second one? Son. Son. Third one? Spirit. Holy Spirit. Those are the three persons of the Trinity. And what John does, there's purpose for this. In the introduction, before he ever gets really into the meat of the prophecy, he says, hey, I want to introduce to you the Christian Godhead. Who God actually is and how His purpose is and, and, and what He's into, the nature of who He is and, and, and what's going on in the book of Revelation. And we know that the whole book of Revelation is, is focused on Jesus and God, God the Trinity is literally involved in revealing Jesus and showing who we've been called to be. There's purpose to this. Okay, So I had a great time studying that and we've looked at some of that this week. But this last section, verses 5 through 8... And you guys are going to have this in your Bible study. I've really struggled with this. Because my Bible calls it a doxology. And the definition of a doxology, and in fact I wrote it down, it means a liturgical expression of praise to God. <laughs> what that really means is this is a section, of, uh, uh, a section of writing which is all about giving praise to God. That's what a doxology is. And I thought it was great. I thought it was important. I thought it was necessary, and I read through verses five, uh, 5, the end of verse 5. In my translation, it starts off with, To Him Who Loves Us, all the way down through the end of verse 8. Okay, I read all that, and it's really important, I thought it was great, but I really struggled with the purpose for this. And again, see, in your Bible study, when you're studying God's Word, see, I always ask the question is, what are you trying to do in me through this? Why is this here, Jesus? What's so significant about this section on praise? See, I'm really concerned with that. 
And so I just begin to dig into it, and I had some, uh, here's my first thought. I thought, well, here's, I bet you this is what the purpose of this praise section is for. There is some really important information in verses 5 through 8. So probably, here's what I thought, probably what the author is doing is he's giving us that, that information in kind of like praise language. Like, have you ever list, uh, listened to some of the worship songs? There's like some really good content in the worship songs. So I thought maybe he's, that's what he's doing. Hey, that's what he's doing. He's giving us really good content, but he's putting it in kind of a worship song. He's putting it in praise. And there's all kinds of great content. For instance, this is some of the stuff he says. He says, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sin. I've been studying that here in the last month or so. And literally the idea is, is that you and I can be freed from sin. And I, I'm finding that the book of Revelation emphasizes that the, the people in heaven, which are redeemed, if you and I go to heaven, okay, the people, and by the way, some of that, some of that begins right now. Some of that begins right now. We're not freed in sin. We're freed from sin. That's really important. He puts that in this section. To mean to say that we're, we're, not freed, uh, we're not freed in sin means that some people say, well, I'm a Christian and I'm still going to rebel against Jesus and I'm not going to live for him like I should and hey, that's okay, God loves me anyway. Yes, God does love you, but that's not what a Christian is. Christians are freed from their sins. They're not freed in their sins. That makes sense? He says that right here. That's really important. So I thought, hey, that's one thing that he says here. He also says a couple other things. He also says that each and every one of us, you guys are like this, each and every one of us are called to be priests. You look excited. Listen to what it says. To him who has loved us and freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests. So if you are a Christian, you've been freed from the captivity of sin and God has made you a priest. Makes you want to go home and buy a robe, doesn't it? Okay. So, hey, that's in here. That's really significant. And what a priest is, which that's a whole other study that we're getting into. and We're studying that. But literally what it means to be a priest. Hey, that's really exciting. Uh, the last bit of information, and there's a bunch of stuff here. It talks about Jesus. Literally how he's going to come back. He says in verse 7, Behold, he's coming with the clouds. And I found this interesting. And every eye will see him, and those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So when Jesus comes back, even those who pierced him are going to see him. That's strange. I don't know what to do with that yet, but I'm studying it. So as I begin to look at this, I thought, well, that's what he's doing. He's giving us a bunch of information. So I just wrote that down. First thing of this, he's giving us some information. And he wants to convey that to us in this when praise language. But God, this morning, literally, when I got up, most of this came together for me. And it dawned on me that that's not all this section is for. You guys are going to like this. Also, in this section, the praise section is not just filled with good information that's given to us in praise language. He's literally, he's literally telling us that praise, this is so neat, new thought for me, that praise serves as the backbone of the entire book of Revelation. This is really important. It's like everything... This was so neat to me. I never thought of this. The whole message of the book of Revelation, really significant. The whole message of the book of Revelation is just... It hangs on praise. It's like it's happening in the midst of praise. It was really significant. 
And so that's why he sticks this in the introduction. In the book of Revelation, hey, he introduces the whole things about Jesus. He says, hey, also, this is the picture of God that we're talking about in the book of Revelation. He also says, in the book of Revelation, the whole thing, everything in the book of Revelation hangs on. The backbone of the book of Revelation is about praise. The backbone. So I put backbone right here. And you would say, Jeremiah, what do you mean by saying that the whole book of Revelation hinges on praise? You guys have your Bibles ready? I, I couldn't believe it. Do you guys realize that of all the books in the New Testament, there's no book that speaks more about praise than the book of Revelation? I didn't know that. God, spoke, God revealed that to me in my study. That there is no book in the New Testament talks about praise as much as the book of Revelation. I'm still studying the Revelation, but aside from the Psalms, I think in the whole Bible, no, no book has the amount of praise language that Revelation does. In the whole Bible. For instance, uh, in Revelation chapter 1, verses um, 5 through 8, that's our passage, that's all about praise. To him who has loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. It's a, it's a praise statement. So you not only get that in chapter 1, but if you flip over to chapter uh, the rest of, uh, well, chapter 2 and 3, you have this address to the seven churches. Jesus is speaking to these seven churches. Then in chapter 4, you have this great throne room scene where God is, is pictured there. And in verses 4, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, in the middle of that scene, okay, the middle of this scene, you shifted to a new scene. In the middle of that scene, in verse 8, it says, Each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes all around, even under their wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And whenever the creatures give glory, honor, and thanks, see, that's praise language, whenever they do that, you've got these elders, mentioned in verse 10, the 24 elders, they fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They say, um, they lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for You created all things, and by Your will they were created and have their being. So in verse 4, you shift from the first beginning of the book and you've got that section there, it's filled with praise. You come into chapter 4, which is a whole new setting, and here's praise. And then when you go into chapter 5, next chapter, I want you to look with me. What happens in chapter 4, you have the great throne room scene where God is depicted. You've got these four living creatures, which are really strange, and they're giving glory and honor and praise. And whenever they give glory and honor and praise, these 24 elders, they fall down and they give praise. And then in the midst of this scene, Jesus appears... And he appears as a lamb. And then you have uh, the four living creatures in verse 8 say, and the 24 elders before the lamb, each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayer of the saints. Verse 9, it says, they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll. They start singing. Listen to this. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. Think about this. So you have the 24 elders, the four living creatures and all these men and they're praising God and then the angels join in on it. Verse 11. 
Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands. Can you picture this scene? And 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elder men. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them sing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Wow! not that amazing? Verses 4 and 5. It's just, it, the whole thing is filled with praise. Jesus comes on the scene and everybody's just, wow! They burst into praise. Chapters 4 and 5. You want a little more? When you move into chapter 6 and 7, you've got all these seals. Jesus has this scroll. Everybody's worshipping him. He begins to pluck the seals on this scroll. And in chapter 6, you have a number of things that are taking place, all these events that are attached to each seal. And you come into chapter 7, which on the last seal, okay, there's some details that are given, and, and all this stuff is taking place. It's listed in chapter 7. You have uh, all of these plagues and these things that are falling on the earth. And of course, you have 144,000 from, from Israel, okay? And a lot of this is difficult to explain and a little bit beyond me at this point. They're labeled for protection all the way down through verse 8. But then when you come into verse 9, after this, and I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. That's probably us. From every tribe, every nation, every people, every language, and they were all standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. <laughs> Amen. Wow. It's a mouthful. So again, Jesus, after chapters 4 and 5, he's a centerpiece. He begins to pop off these seals. A number of things are taking place. In response to what, what Jesus is doing and the popping of the seals, more praise is given. Now, I don't know how much of this you guys want to hear, but you go into chapter uh, 8, uh, and you have the trumpets that are taking place, which are out of the last seal. You've got uh, all these woes. In fact, there's two particular woes that take place about the people who do not, uh, you know, give glory to God. And res in response to the woes, guess what? guess what? Guess what comes next? More praise. Verse 15. Then the angel, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet. That's chapter 11, verse 15. The angel uh, sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And with the 24 elders who were seated on the throne before God, fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Give thanks to the Lord, God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken uh, your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judgment of the dead, for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for the destroying those who destroy the earth. Then it comes into chapter 12 and it speaks of Satan's downfall. And not only Satan's downfall, but Jesus who reigns. And in the middle of chapter 12, after talking about how Satan is going to be uh, cast down, you've got more praise language. Chapter 14. 
after it talks about a couple chapters of what Satan's going to do against God's people, he's, going to, he's not going to be fruitful even though he's going to war against God's people. He's not going to succeed. And in chapter 14, uh, there's more people praising. Chapter 14, verse 3. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who would be redeemed from the earth. That's what we would call a special before the preaching. Your parents would find that funny. Okay. Then you have three angels, chapter 14, beginning at verse 6. Uh, one comes in. This is really significant. Listen to this. This is how significant praise is. In chapter 14, beginning at verse 6, three angels come on the scene. Satan's tried to do his thing. He can't do it. The people of God praise God because Satan's not fruitful. Then in chapter 14, these three angels come. The first angel says in verse 7, he said in a loud voice, it's a command, Fear God and give Him glory. You can also translate that. Fear God and sing praises to Him. Sing God and wor- uh, uh, fear God and worship Him. The second angel comes and he says, "By the way, Babylon has fallen." And you know, uh, and, the, and the significance of Babylon being fallen—that's who the people of the war, uh, the, the people of the earth, worshipped. And it says in verse nine. A third angel followed him and said in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on their forehead or on their hands, he too will drink the, uh, of the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out, poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. Basically, here's what happens. Three angels appear. One says, Worship God. Another one says, By the way, Babylon has fallen. And the third angel says, The third angel says, The reason Babylon has fallen and all the people that worship Babylon will also be fallen is because they did not worship God. So literally, destruction comes because they don't praise. Which I thought that was really significant. And I won't mention the rest. But it, all the way up through chapters 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and 21, it's all hinged on this praise thing. Now this was really significant to me, guys. Really significant to me. Because this tells me the whole book, the whole book of uh, Revelation is bathed in praise. He tells us three things in the first chapter. First thing he says is, hey, the whole thing's focused on Jesus. He tells us that in the prologue. The next thing he tells us is the persons of the Trinity. He tells us who God is. And the next thing he says is he establishes that everything going on, this is fantastic, everything going on in God's kingdom, God's people, everything that's going on in the book of Revelation hinges on praise. The backbone of the book of Revelation is all about praise. Now, that's what I saw. Those are some of the things that I've been seeing in my own personal studies. Now, there are some things that I, begin to, I didn't see. Uh, I like word studies. And we, we've, I've shown you this this week and we've talked about that. I, I kind of look at, uh, I like to look at specific words because there are certain words that are attached. Like Jesus. He's called the Christ. Does anybody know what the Christ means? It means the Messiah. That's the Hebrew word. And that means anointed one. And that's what they did to kings. So when they call Jesus the Christ, hey, that's significant. And he's always called the Christ and Messiah. That word's really significant. So here in this section, when it says the whole book of Revelation hinges on praise and all of God's people are constantly praising God, I thought, hmm, I wonder what Greek word would be used for praise. And I found several. For instance, one of the words that I found that the people of God use in the book of Revelation for praise, that, I mean, that's, all, that's used a ton for, for uh, the praise that's taking place is the Greek word 
Doxa. Anybody know what that word is translated in English? Yes. Holy. Ooh, close. He said holy. Yes? Oh, that's it. That is where we get our word doxology. But it's, it's translated glory. Give me an example. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6. Our passage. And he made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be doxa. To him be glory. Whenever it says they gave him glory. That's the word they use. It's even translated praise sometime. That was one of the words they used. So when I, as I begin to continue, I found another Greek word. And it's trans, translated, I think, anao. Anao. And that word, yes? Oh, close. It's praise. That word is used to describe the praise in the book of Revelation. Another Greek word I found. This one's a little bit difficult. Proskuneo. If I was a Greek word, I'd be that one. And that word is translated worship. Now, here's what I'm getting at. When I begin to look at, oh, hey, the whole book of Revelation is about praise. Anybody and everybody who's going to be a new creation, a Christian, anybody who's going to be in the kingdom, they're going to be praising. Because the whole book of Revelation is about praise. Everything that God is doing, it's all hung on. The backbone of everything God's doing is about praise. And I thought, whoa, well, how do I praise? What word do I use that describes my praise? And I found that there wasn't just one word. There wasn't just one word. It wasn't, doxa wasn't used in every passage. Praise wasn't used in every passage. Even they worshipped him wasn't used in every passage. And in fact, sometimes none of these words were used. And, and they just, it just says that they sang a song. For example... Look at chapter 5. Remember we went through chapter 5? And that had all the praising that went on? In chapter 5, verse 9, it says, And they sang a new song. That's the elders and the four living creatures. Then you go down a few verses to verse 12, and it says, The elders, in a loud voice, they sang. And you go down a few verses in verse 13, then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. <laughs> so it doesn't say that they praised. It doesn't say that they worshipped. It doesn't say that they gloried. It says that they sang a song. And I really got confused on that because, hey, I want to worship right. You know what I found really interesting? I never found any instruction. Listen to me. This will... Your parents probably... Their generation really needs to hear this. Do you know that in the book of Revelation, the whole thing hinges on praise, God never once instructs on how they are to praise. In other words, He never says, well, hey, I really want to hear drums. God never says, unless it's hymns, I'm not listening. He never says that kind of stuff. He doesn't care. In fact, this is the coolest word for praise you're going to find in the whole book of Revelation. And you don't have to turn there, but it's in chapter 19. And in chapter 19, some of you are already turning there. What is the word? You guys know it. Someone say it really loud. Ha! 
Hal. How do you spell that? H. H A L L. Uh huh. Uh huh. They say hallelujah. That's acceptable. That's an acceptable form of praise. What I found interesting was when I looked up for the definition of hallelujah. Do you know what the definition of the word hallelujah is? Or hallelujah? There is no definition. That was it was a sound they made in their voice. You know what it sounds like in our day and age, in our culture? Whoa! <laughs> That's praise. When you guys go home, tell your pastor, hey, I want to sing a special on Sunday morning. And then go up and just go, wow! Yes! Thank you. That's that word. It's just a scream. It's yes! It's like when your favorite guy hits a home run and you're like, yes! Wow! Whoa! Whoa! That's that word. <laughs> Is that hysterical? In the way praise, God's people, when they praise, there's no, what I'm finding in my Bible study, the book of Revelation, the whole thing is bracketed. Everybody in the book of Revelation is praising, but he doesn't care how you do it. If you like Southern gospel, have at it. I'd rather chew broken glass. If you like rap music and you want to praise the rap music, hey, praise the Lord, go at it. If you like drums, awesome, drum away. If you don't like drums, if you like polka music, whoa, praise God for polka music. Doesn't matter. If you like to do this when you praise, hey, he's okay with that. If you like to stand still, that's great. If you like to raise your hands, he's okay with that. There's no specific instruction given. It's just that everybody is doing it. Now, what's also significant, I found that the one consistency, do you guys see the progression in my study here? Begin to see praise. What does that mean? Hey, I found it's the whole backbone of the entire book. That there's praise, and we listed all those scriptures. I read a lot of those to you. I mean, there's praise going all over the place. And they use several different forms of it. There's no one consistent form of praise. But there is one consistent... There's one consistency regarding praise in the book of Revelation. It's like it's a spontaneous... Get a hold of this. It's like it's a spontaneous inward expression that just burst forth. You want an example of it? Turn over with me to chapter 19. Does anybody here sing in like high school choir or church choir or any like you do? Anybody else sing in like choirs? You do? There's organization to, to choirs. Everybody starts at the same time. They have like uh, what? One section are the tenors. Others are the bass, altos, sopranos, baritones. Are they in there? Okay, you got all these different forms. In the book of Revelation, there's no mention of any of that. Do you know what their choir looks like and sounds like? Listen to chapter 19, verse 1. There's this whole huge song that's going to be recorded halfway through, I mean, throughout half the chapter. And this is how the choir is described. Verse 1, chapter 19. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting. Now, is that the way you would describe your choir? It was a roar! They were shouting! That doesn't sound like organized worship, does it? You know what that sounds like? Do you know how the, the book of Revelation describes praise? Do you guys uh, see the news, by the way? Did you know? Any baseball fans in here? Do you know Barry Bonds broke the record, Hank Aaron's record? Yeah. Okay, did you guys see the crowd as it went absolutely in screams, as it was just roars? That's the way praise is described in the book of Revelation. 
It is a spontaneous, unorganized, inward thing that spills out. And people begin to sing while doing that. Saying, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are His judgments. And all of this praise language comes out of that. That's the only consistency. Stick with me on this. That's the only consistency of praise in the book of Revelation. All, whether, it's, you, whether you use this word, whether it's doxa, whether it's praise, whether it's uh, worship, whether they sang songs, whether it was hallelujah, whether it was roaring and shouting, every bit of it comes from an inside deep kind of, oh, that's the one consistency. In fact, I found that you don't even have to praise correct. You know what I mean by you don't have to praise correct? You guys sang a song. You guys sang a song this week. And um, the song was called Undignified. Do you know where that song comes from? Ah, that's why I like having you here. It's about David. See what happens, and I won't give you the whole thing. It's all in Second Samuel chapter six. Don't turn there. I'll just in Second Samuel chapter six, basically, and it's kind of a long story. David is going to bring the ark back into Jerusalem. But this guy named Uzzah touches it, kills over dead. And so God says, hey, or uh, uh, David says, hey, I don't want that thing. He took like 30,000 men, big old processional parade. All of Jerusalem came, were worshiping. It was going to be this grand thing. The king went out. I mean, it was big time. But he came back. But later, hey, people were saying, God's, hey, you need to bring the ark. You guys paying attention? You guys paying attention? Later... Later, people were saying, we've got to bring the ark in. So David, now listen to this, really significant. David and all of Jerusalem, it goes out and they're cheering and they're shouting. Well, what happens is David's, I think it's his wife. Was it his wife? Yeah. Here it is. Now King David was told, The Lord has blessed the household of the uh, Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from, that, from his house to the city of David with rejoicing. That's praise. When those, were carrying the ark, when those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and fatted calf. In other words, the whole thing was about praise and he was offering sacrifices. David, wearing a linen ephod, danced before the Lord with all his might while he and the entire house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts and trumpets. It's interesting that David and all the house, the whole, whole people of Israel worshiping, guess who did not come? As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, how do you pronounce her name? Michael. Is it Michael? I think it'd be Michelle maybe because it's... Yeah, I think it's Michelle. Was it Michael? Okay, let's say it's Michael. His, now, you guys notice, she was the only one not worshiping. And again, I'll just tell you guys this. I meet people all the time who criticize other people for how they worship. Most of the times, those are the people who aren't worshiping. Oh, do you see those teens up there dancing around? Why weren't you dancing around? See, no one in the book of Revelation when they're praising, like David. David became, she looked at David and said, oh, you're so undignified. And David said, I'm going to become more... I'm going to become reckless in my worshiping God. He wasn't just dancing around for dancing around, and some teens do that. He was saying, I want to get absolutely mad, dancing, praising, worshiping God. She wasn't doing that. I find in the book of Revelation, 
No one else says to somebody else when they're worshiping God, oh, I wish you'd just sing on key. Good night. Well, you're not shouting as loud as I'm shouting. No one says in chapter 19 when they're all praising, no one says, well, hey, boy, I wish he would stop raising his hands. He really distracts me. You guys ever hear that in your churches? Isn't that sad? It's just all about praise and all about worship and all about singing. You, you guys, you can't mess that up. All week I've been talking to you about an inward deal in your life. You can't mess that up. The whole book of Revelation hinges on the people of God having an inside burn passion. Passion. If you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. So the whole what, here's my study produced out of this study, verses five through eight, is that the whole book of Revelation hinges on praise. That's what my study showed me. And as I began to investigate that, I looked for certain words. And there were several different words. It was like there was no right way. These, the people who, who praise with doxa, they weren't more important than people who sang, uh, sang songs or people who said hallelujah. It just, hey, it didn't matter. It, the only thing that was really significant was the inward expression of praise to God. That's what was most significant. So the people of Revelation, everybody in the kingdom of God is going to have a lifestyle of praise. Does anyone know where that's talked about in the New Testament besides Revelation? Anybody know Romans 12, 1 and 2? Where Paul talks about... Paul, Paul already taught on all this. He says, Therefore I urge you in the view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is your spiritual act of worship. Offering your body as a living sacrifice. This is it. Every day is worship. So, hey, now, we've, we've, number one, what did we see regarding praise? Are you with me? What did we see regarding praise? We've looked at what that meant. That praise, hey, it's about the inside thing. Now, the final step of that uh, Bible study is asking the question, what does it change? So, we would, I would ask you, as I have to, have to ask myself, is that going on in me? Have you ever met somebody... When I grew up in high school, there was this guy in our church. He just was grumpy all the time. Just always bitter, always just... And it's interesting that people... He was so, <laughs> he was so grumpy all the time that people just kind of associated that with his personality. I'm filled with energy, so most people would call me hyperactive. It's, it's so much a regular in my life that they associate it with my, person, my personality. Wouldn't it be so neat if just praising God was so much a part of who you were that it was a part of your personality? Someone saw you in worship. What's wrong with them? Oh, that's just them. <laughs> He's always standing in the service going, Yes! You guys aren't too excited. But that's okay. Because you don't have to scream and yell like me. Now, Jesus, let that be so.